It is fun to sing that song. That's one of my favorites this morning. Well, if you're new here, you're dropping in on a series we've been going through this summer called The Unexplainables. The Unexplainables in this series is kind of piggybacking off of this idea that we see in, in uh, secular culture, which is in the beginning of the summer, through summer, we usually have summer blockbusters. Sometimes these summer blockbusters are superhero movies, which I personally like a lot. Um, I'm a big, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to superheroes and comic books. And this summer, one of the big superhero movies that came out was Disney's movie, uh, The Incredibles 2. And The Incredibles 2, if you've never seen it, is about a family, a full family, kids and adults that have superpowers, and we all want to have superpowers uh, sometimes, but we're called as Christians not to be the Incredibles. We're not called to have superpowers. What we're talking about during this series is that God's called us to be the unexplainables, and he's called us, and he's given us his supernatural power, his Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to be unexplainable? It means that when we allow his spirit to transform our lives and we begin to live out that transformative power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives, the way we love, the way we serve, the way we treat one another, the way we treat other people, is unexplainable to those who don't know Jesus. And that unexplainableness, to make up my own word, is what draws people to Christ through us. And so we've been talking about this big idea throughout the entire series, which is that the supernatural power of God is truly unexplainable, but it's livable. It's livable. We're able to live this out, and we're looking at the letter from the Apostle John to the church where he is talking about how do we live these unexplainable lives. And so we've been focusing for many weeks, and we're wrapping it up here as we're ending towards the summer. We've got just a few uh, chapters left or a few weeks left of uh, John, uh, what it means to live this out. And so today is no different. We're going to go to John's letter to the church, and that's in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, through 1 John 4, chapter, verse 6. So I invite you to turn there if you have scripture with you this morning. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to read it out loud here this morning before we dig in. So 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 24. John writes this. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you, don't have, if you have a custom of writing in your Bible, that is one to underline. They are from the world, therefore they speak, they speak from the world and, and the world listens to them. But we are from God Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Can we pray? Father, in these brief moments we share together, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak and that we would have ears to hear, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, 
that you would quiet our hearts and minds this morning and open our ears, open our hearts for what you have prepared. Lord, I just ask that your spirit work in the hearts and lives of those gathered here and that their presence here this morning would impact Monday, that, they, that this wouldn't be a time where we're just learning, but it's a time where you're, you're at work and you're changing us and that we, as we are changed, we, we look more like you. And when we go into the world this week, that people see that difference in us. Lord, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the time of year where we go back to school. We've already said that. I'm going to keep reminding you of that because I'm kind of excited about it. And, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that school means is tests, right? Who liked taking tests? Wow, there's one. Very brave. But most of us don't like tests, right? Most of us don't like tests at all, um, and we don't really like taking them. You know, what is a test? I was thinking about this this week. I came up with my own definition of what a test is. I think a test is simply the evaluation of a desired outcome. The evaluation of a desired outcome. So if we're taking a test in school, the desired outcome obviously is that you retain the information that you were taught, and the outcome is that you would retain it so that you're tested to see. If you're testing to see if something works, like uh, computer software, right? You're evaluating it to see if it's doing what you want it to do. If you're test driving a car, you're seeing, you're evaluating the outcome and hopefully the outcome is that you actually want to drive this thing every day, right? So it's an evaluation of a desired outcome. That's what a test is. And, you know, we've all been through tests. We've all taken tests. Me personally, the hardest test I probably have gone through in my life um, in, in one way, I've had emotional tests, spiritual tests, but one of the hardest tests that formed me as a person actually was 27 weeks of police academy. That was a test. That was a test in my life. The desired outcome of that test was that to make me into someone who was a police officer. And much like the military, we, they actually want to change you into somebody who's able to handle that. That was, a, that was a test. I was pushed to the max in many ways. I was pushed to fear and to overcome my fears. I was, you know, sprayed in the face with mace, and I was shot with a taser, and I was in a gas chamber, and I was pushed to do more push-ups than I thought I ever could, and I was pushed to run further than I ever thought I could, and I was, I was pushed beyond the limits of my own abilities of what I thought, but the desired outcome was to make me into a police officer, and not every single person that walked into that academy walked out with a uniform and a badge on their chest, but the outcome of that test in my life, that 27 weeks, was to put me to the place to see if I was worthy of putting on the uniform, worthy of doing what I was going to be asked to do as a policeman, and that is a test that I went through, and you know, that was to form me for the, for the uniform. Now, if you're a superhero, on the other hand, you actually test the uniform to see if it's worthy of you. Take a look at this clip from The Incredibles. Cream and sugar. Thanks. I started with the base. Started? Started. I cut it a little roomy for the free movement. The fabric is comfortable for sensitive skin. And it can also withstand a temperature of over 1,000 degrees. Completely bulletproof. And machine washable, darling, that's a new feature. 
What on earth do you think the baby will be doing? Well, I'm sure I don't know, darling. Luck favors the prepared. I didn't know the baby's powers, so I covered the basics. Jack-Jack doesn't have any powers. No? Eh, don't look fabulous anyway. <laughs> Your boy's suit are designed to withstand enormous friction without heating up or wearing out a useful feature. Your daughter's suit is tricky, but I finally created a sturdy material that will disappear completely as she does. Your sword can stretch as far as you can without injuring yourself, and still retain its shape. Virtually indestructible. It breathes like Egyptian cotton. As an extra feature, each sword contains a homing device, giving you the precise global location of the wearer at the touch of a button. Well, darling, what do you think? Yeah, so if you're the, what are the Incredibles, they actually test your suit. But the purpose of our, our passage today that John is actually talking about is this idea of a test. I don't know if you caught it when we read it. He talks about testing the spirits. Testing the spirits. And I, the, the title of the sermon is Unexplainable Test. And I believe the test that we are talking about this morning is whether or not we're unexplainable. It's a way to evaluate whether we're unexplainable. In verse 324, John says this, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. That was where we left off last week, that this is his commandment. This is what we are called to do. This will set us apart as the unexplainables. And then he goes on in verse 24, he says, whoever keeps that commandment abides, remains, lives in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. John's saying it's the spirit alive and at work in you is how you know that you remain, you abide, you live in God, and you need to test what spirit is active in your life. John has two burdens throughout this letter, and if you've been tracking with us all summer, you may have caught on to this. He's writing to a church that has false teachers there. And he's also writing to, a ch- to, he, he's writing to them, he wants to clarify what the real teaching of Jesus Christ is and how to follow it. But he also has two burdens for the people that are living there. P- things that we continue to come back when we're talking about what it means to be unexplainable. That the first thing is that we love one another. That we actually live out this love for one another. And the second is that we would understand how the Holy Spirit empowers our lives and how he lives and empowers in the lives of the believers so that we can live out this unexplainable life. Believe in Jesus. I've shared this. Believe in him in all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the outcome is that we would do that, that we would be formed as people completely sold out for Jesus, and that we would love people because we are sold out for Jesus in unexplainable ways. And the test is whether or not we're doing that. That's the outcome. The test is how do we do that? Now, some people approach verses four or chapter four, verses one through six as a test of the spirits that are active in the false teachers. That is true, okay? If you read this, if you were to walk in after, after church, you would go home and read this, you would see that John is clarifying the spirit that's active in the false teachers versus the spirit of God. 
But I want you to also see, I believe what John is saying primarily to us today is this is a test on how we see if the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And the reason is, is verse two. If it was just about the false teachers, if it was about weeding them out and sifting them out, I don't believe that the verse would say, by this we know the Spirit of God. I think it would say, by this we know the Spirit of the Antichrist. But he doesn't say that. This entire section, John is actually talking about what it looks like to identify, to test, to determine who is, this in the, who is operating under the Spirit of God and testing them. And then he talks about the Antichrist as separate. So that's the context in which we're talking about it. Because the outcome is, this is how you know. This is how you test if you're unexplainable. This is how you know if your life is completely ruled by the Spirit of God. That's where we're in as we go into verse 1. Because John says this, beloved, talking to these people like a grandpa, talking to these people like an old man, talking to these people as someone who has lived this life following Jesus and walked with him for three years. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to understand that for the Greco-Roman mind, in fact, for the Jewish mind, the idea is that there's two spirits active in the world. One spirit is the spirit of truth. And that spirit controls the actions of humans. And if you're in truth, and if you follow that spirit, your life will be, this, your life will be living out truth. That's the spirit of God. But there's also the spirit of deceit. John mentions in his gospel, he mentions that Jesus calls him the, the prince of this world, but there's a recognition that these prophets, these false people, that there's the ability for each of us to be, to be uh, moved along by a different spirit, a spirit that's deceitful, a spirit that brings death, not truth. Satan wants to, to guide you and follow, he wants you to follow him, and he's always active. And so John says you have to test the spirits to influence and see what is influencing your life. And the first test is this. The first test is what we say. That's the first test he wants us to go in today. And, and so we look at this next verse. It says, by this you will know the spirit of God. I can't see this morning. The spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is in the world already. So the first thing is what we say. How do you know that you're of God? How do you know that you're unexplainable? How do you know that the spirit of God has control over you? It's what you confess. And he says very specifically, if you confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, now, you could leave it there. You could say, well, that's, that's I, okay, well, I believe that Jesus came in a physical body, so let's just move on. But I think it's so much more than that. What John is saying is that it's only when you give a genuine confession of Jesus Christ that you can know that you're of God and that the Holy Spirit's alive in you. It's more than just words, though. And if you like the extreme song, I'm sorry I put it in your head right now but it's not more than words. It's, it's something more than that. You can't just say, I believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's not enough. What he's saying is, if you want to know if the Spirit of God is present and inactive, that, that you have to do something more than words. Because here's the thing, we all know people that say that they believe in Jesus. 
We all know people that may say that they think Jesus was God or that Jesus was, they would say, yeah, Jesus came and he died, but their lives aren't equal to their confession. They say one thing, but they do another. In fact, I could pay somebody to come up here and confess in just words Christ. I could. If that was just what it was, if it was words alone, that wouldn't be a very, very much of a test. In fact, Jesus talked about that. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. There's an action along with your confession. And the most important thing is that Jesus wants us to know that the, the answer that we give when we confess must align with our heart, that the word confess is so important to our test. So what does it mean to confess? We've heard this word before. What does it mean to confess? Well, first, let's go to the Hebrew. And I don't do this very often because I want you, when you pick up the word, I want you to have confidence that you can read it, that it, God can speak to you and you can live it out. But sometimes there's some interesting things in the original language that the Bible was written in that I want us to see so we can really grab a hold of the meaning. And so the Hebrew word for confess is yada. Yada, yada, yada. It means to praise or to confess. And so in the Hebrew mind, to say, to say this is to acknowledge that God alone, to confess God alone is, is worthy of your worship. That God alone has a value above anybody else. That he is the first, the prime in, the prime in your life. He's the only one. You are confessing that. And for the Hebrews to confess sin to confess that you are a sinner, what they're saying is that not only is God alone the only one worthy of your praise, but God is the only one who you can sin against because his rules, his law, his purity is the line in which we have to walk. And so if you sin, you're confessing that he's, he's the one that draws the line. But you're also saying that he is the only one who can forgive for that. So when you confess in the Hebrew mind, you're saying, I acknowledge that God is the only value. He's the only one worthy of praise. He's the one who, who says what's right and wrong, and he's the only one that can forgive me when I'm a sinner. And that, that's what it means to confess him. It goes, on, it goes beyond just saying I'm guilty. It's actually saying God's character defines everything for me. Now in the Greek, which is what John was written in, the Greek word for confess is homologeo. And that's part of two words. Homo, which means the same, and legeo, which means to say. So you could translate confess as to say the same thing as. Okay, when you confess something, you're saying the same thing as. So you're saying the same thing as, as whom? And you're saying the same thing as whom about what, right? That's what the question is. When you confess something, what are you saying? You're saying the same thing as God himself is saying about it. So when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you are confessing that what you believe in Jesus, what you say about Jesus, how you live for Jesus is exactly the same thing as what God would say about Jesus. And so when you want to talk about sin, this is why early in John it's so important what John teaches, taught us in 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to say the same thing as God would say about sin which is that it's sin, which is that it's against God's law, which is that it, it, it breaks our relationship with God, that it breaks our relationship with other people, and we are sinners who need forgiveness. If you want to hear more about this, go back to a couple weeks ago, Unexplainable Freedom. We talked about this. 
So when you confess Christ as Lord, you're saying the same thing as God about Christ. And what does he say? He says that when you confess Christ as Lord, you're confessing that he came in the flesh. Boy, that's a big thing. Because you're saying that you and I, we all descended from Adam, the first man. We're saying that he sinned against God and that every single one of us from that point on carries with us a sinful nature that is bent with will against God. And that as, the, as Paul tells us, as the sin that Adam committed affected all of the human race, one man who came in the flesh that was God and man, Jesus himself came and he lived an absolutely perfect life and never sinned, though he was tempted in every way we are. And that he died our death on a cross. And that he rose again three days later. Not just a spiritual resurrection, but one in the flesh. He was truly in the flesh. He was real. He was God in a bod. Remember that. He was God in a body. And you believe that. And you believe that he had to come. And he had to live. And he had to do that. Because otherwise, things would be never made right. You believe, you confess, and you believe you're confessing, A, I'm a sinner, so Jesus had to come in the flesh. B, I confess that God says he's the son of God. I believe in that. I confess that God says he rose in three days, and he lives, and he reigns at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come again, right? You're confessing that you agree with that, that your life then is aligned with that. That's why it's so important in Romans when when Paul wrote this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to agree with it. And our lives have to be aligned with God. And if you can not confess this, and if your life isn't in agreement with that, and this doesn't inform all that you do, the spirit of God is not active in you. It's a test of what you say. It's a test of how you live. Rather than uh, conforming for, for Paul, for John, for the Hebrews, for the New Testament and the Old Testament, when we confess, we are conforming our minds and our hearts and our very lives to what God says. That's what it means to confess. That's why the word repent is so necessary for us to follow Jesus. Because the word repent, metanoia in the Greek, literally means to change your mind. To change your heart. To conform to his image and likeness. And to surrender to him. We have to confess. It's not just confession with words. It's a life transformation. Our confession is an oath that we give that is followed up by our words and our life. So basically, Paul could write this, or John could have written this. He could have said, by this you test that the Spirit of God is active and at work in you. You're in full agreement about the truth of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and the truth that there was a need for Christ's ministry. And there's a truth that you need his ministry on earth because without it, you are lost in your sin. And you need his ministry in your life now because without it, you are lost. That's what it means. That's the first test. What do we say? Is our life in agreement with confessing him as Lord? And the second test. The second test is is this. How we listen. How we listen. Look what John says. He says, they, the, the false prophets, those people that are, that are led by the spirit of deceit, they are from the world. 
Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But he goes on, he says, we, you and me, but also we, the apostles, he's speaking as one of the apostles, we are from God, and whoever, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he says that what we listen to is the second test. Now, just like confession, it's more than just listening. You can sit here every week and listen to me. You can read your Bible and listen to the words of God, but it goes beyond mere listening. It goes to how did the words of God transform your heart and your life to change the way that you live. Mere listening proves nothing. So you could be somebody who allows themselves to engage with podcasts and sermons and read your devotions and listen to teaching and and open the word each and every day and read books. There's tons of books in the Christian sphere that can shape us and can transform us. You can listen and read all of that and it can have zero change on how you live if you are not listening to it and the spirit of God is not active in your heart in your life. Let me give you an example. In a couple weeks, football season's going to start. I love football, okay? I do. And if my wife asks me a question during the Steelers game, I will answer her, but there's, not a, there's no chance that I was listening. In fact, if she wants me to agree to something I don't want to do, she'll ask me then, because I'll say, yes, honey, and then I don't even know what I'm saying. But I heard her, I was listening to her, right? But it doesn't affect my life. In fact, my, my, my ideas and my, my attentions are pointed elsewhere. Folks, we talk about reading the Bible, we talk about getting into God's word, we talk about being here, and hopefully these, these lessons, these, these teachings, God is speaking into your heart, but you can do this, and it can make no difference whatsoever. But John says... That a test of the Spirit of God at work is that when you hear the apostles' teachings, when you listen to them that are from God, that you actually walk out what you listen in your life. It's very consistent with what Jesus said. Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Obey it. It's a two-part thing. It's, Jesus was constantly saying, you who have ears, hear and change your lives to what I'm teaching you. Romans 10, 17 says, by faith, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. But you have to hear it. You have to allow it to transform your heart and your life. So the test is what we confess, is our confession, is what we say about God aligned with what we truly live out. That Jesus had to come. He had to come in the flesh, and that that changes everything for us because we know we're a sinner, but we're connected to him, and through him, we are changed forever. Our lives are transformed to the very thing that he wants us to be, the sons and daughters he created us to be. But are we listening? The way that happened is, are we listening to the teachings? Are we getting alone with him? And are we allowing what we do when we engage the very words of God to change our hearts and change our lives? That's the test. So if you want to know, am I unexplainable? Am I, is the spirit of God active in my life? That means, if, is my confession and what I listen to, are they consistent with what God says I should be doing? Is this, is this word truly trans, transforming my life? 
Is, is my, are my words and my confession aligned with how I live? Because that's the outcome. That's how we test to see if we're doing what God called us to do. The test is an evaluation of the desired outcome. The desired outcome is that we mean what we say, we live like what we say, and we hear from God and it changes us. And this is the way that God has chosen to teach us, to guide us, to transform us, but is it really changing us? Is our gatherings here actually really doing anything? Are you allowing the spirit to be at work? This is the test, this is the outcome. This is how we know if we're walking the way to become unexplainable. And I think about this, and I think about the test, and I think to myself, if this is the test, would, I, would you pass it? Would I pass it? And I have to be honest with you. I was thinking this week, and I was like, gosh, <laughs> Dan, I don't know if you can pass it. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there in my study. I'm thinking, yes, okay, in many ways I can. I confess Christ, I believe he's, and he is Lord of my life, but can I stand up here in front of all of you and say that my life is 100% always in line with my confession? No. And now I was thinking, all right, well, I, I spend time in the word, and, and I hear it, and I, I spend time with God in prayer and devotions every single day. Can I honestly stand up here and say that every single time that I'm with God and I hear his voice, that it's changing my heart, that, it, that there's never one time during the week where I'm just going through it rote, where it's just a practice, not a time where I'm engaging God? Can I say that in the last 30 days, every single day, boy, I was listening. Boy, he was changing me. No, I couldn't. And then I was like, well, what am I supposed to tell these people? Like, <laughs> what do we do? Read the Bible more, right? And then we say, read the Bible more. Yeah, do this more, do this more, do this more. And then I realized something. I realized something that's very important, and I hope you give me time to explain this. The test isn't yours to take, but the outcome is yours to receive. This is what I mean by this. The test isn't mine to take. The test is whether the Spirit of God is at work. The test is the test for the spirit. Paul doesn't say test the man. He says test the spirit. In fact, or Paul, John, John says test the spirit. In fact, in the middle of all of this, he alludes to this. This is what he says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the other spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The focus is the spirit. It's amazing to me. It's just like the first time I read Ephesians, and I read Ephesians, and it said, such were some of you. you. You used to do these things. You used to do these things, but you've been changed forever. And I read it, and I thought to myself, but I still do some of those things. And God said to me in that moment, just like he said to me this week, this test, this truth is actually pointing to who I am, and I'm at work in you. So if you feel like, gosh, I could never pass this test, well, guess what? God already passed it. God already overcame it. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. You are alive in Christ Jesus, and it is all for yours to receive. It's all for yours to receive. The outcome is yours to receive. The test is up to God, and he passed it with flying colors, and all he wants is for you to receive it and to live into it. 
You have overcome the world, the spirits that want to lead you to a different way, the the spirit that wants to make you completely explainable, just like everyone else, living just like the rest of the world. That spirit has been defeated. And you have the ability to live like God has called you to live because his spirit is active. God said to me as I was like, how do I explain this? How do I tell these people how to live this unexplainable life? How do I share with them, Lord? How do I tell them the right steps to take to pass the test? He said, Dan, it's not about you. It doesn't say by this you'll know Dan's a good pastor. It doesn't say that in his word. He doesn't say, by this to know, by you, you will know that you're a good Christian. That's not what John was led to say. He didn't say, by this you'll know you're a good dad. He didn't say, by this you'll know you're a good mom. No, he said, by this you will know the Spirit of God is at work in your life. It has been overcome. He is alive and he is at work in your life. And this is what he wants to do. The Spirit of God, which is alive. Does it not blow your mind that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in your heart if you've accepted Jesus as Lord? And what he wants to do, what he wants to do more than anything, is he wants that what you confess about Christ, the fact that you believe in him, and all of that that we spoke about before, that your life would be exactly in line with what you confess. And the Spirit of God is working on your life to do that. Do you, know, does that, do you know that that means no matter how hard you think it is to read this book, that the Holy Spirit, when you read this book, wants to help you apply this and to change your heart? It's not up to you. He's already done it, and he wants you to do one thing. Surrender. He wants you to do one thing. Relinquish control from yourself to him. Because if you would give control to the spirit of God, he will do this in your life. He wants you to confess Christ as Lord. And he wants to move every area of your life from unbelief to belief. He wants every part of your life that you live out in a way that you don't believe God's good enough, God's got enough, God's gonna do enough. He wants you to confess Christ is Lord. Christ is everything and move your life over to where you believe for him and him alone for everything you need. He wants, of your heart of hearing, he wants to guide you every single day to not only hear the word but obey it and to live it out. But you have to surrender. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to be working. You have to live out your life. And if you're right now thinking to myself, thinking to yourself, well, I want to do that. I really want my confession to be in line with with the Lord. I really want to truly hear his word and obey it and walk it out. Guess what? If you're hearing that, if you're feeling that, if if you're brought to mind right now the places where that needs to work, he's at work right now. He's doing it. And he's beckoning you to surrender, to give control so I can change you from the inside out. I've already taken the test and I've passed it. And the the outcome of that test, what does it look like for the spirit of God to be at work? Is for yours to receive, but it requires you to surrender. The test isn't yours to take, the outcome is yours to receive. And here's the greatest news. 
If you're here today and you don't believe in God, if you're here today and you're wondering, you know, what's this church stuff all about? Somebody promised you lunch afterwards or something. You know, this is good news. This means that God's spirit wants to call you into confession that Jesus is Lord. And he is here right now in this place. And he wants you to know that he, above all else, wants to be the center of your universe. He wants to be all that you want, all that you need. He wants to give you all of himself. If you would just confess it, if you would just agree with it, if you would just be aligned with him, and he is calling you. What it requires for you to do is the same thing, to surrender. Say, Lord, I need you. I realize I cannot do this on my, on my own. Lord, I realize that you had to come in the flesh because in my flesh, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And if you're feeling that right now, if you're, if you're sensing that right now, that's because he's at work doing it in your life right this very second. Church, we have to, in this next season, not that we've never done it before, but we have to. We have to get this right. We have to be people that walk by the Spirit. We have to realize that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of what's to come that God has given the church so that we can live unexplainable lives. And how do we test that we're unexplainable? The test is whether the Spirit of God is active in our confession and how we're listening. And and the test for us, how you want to make sure you're part of this outcome is, are you surrendering to what he's trying to do? Because that's what he'll be doing all the time. And that other spirit, that other spirit's been overcome. A test doesn't even need to be taken. But the outcome is yours to receive. Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day you say, I'm done doing this myself. Today's the day you say, you know what? I want my life to be unexplainable. Today's the day. Are you ready to live this? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for for John, that this beloved disciple of yours who laid his head on your chest is still speaking to us, that your spirit guided him to, to write words that if we would truly listen to them, they would continue to transform us. Lord, I thank you that your spirit's at work in this place, that there are people here right now who know of places in their life where their confession isn't equal with their lifestyle. There's people in this place right now who have been engaging your words, but honestly, they're not sure if they've been listening. But I'm thankful that your spirit is at work in their life right now. And if they would surrender to you, that your promise is to give them all of yourself. And the outcome would be lives completely changed. Lives that were Evident that the Spirit of God is working, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to believe that life in you is better than all of the lives that this world is trying to give us. And Lord, bear fruit in our surrender. 
to your glory so that we would be a church where people would truly see the love of Jesus and would come to know that the confession that he is Lord of all left his throne, came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, was buried, but in three days he rose again because death and sin have been defeated. That that would be on our lips and that would be on our lives and that many people in Palmyra would come to believe and receive salvation in Christ alone. It's in his name I pray, amen.